just want to take one second to uh, brag on all the people who serve in some way here. Um, if you have kids, they're dismissed to our children's ministry. Um, and they're going to go back there, and they're going to be with volunteers who come in here who are not paid, come out of here and take care of kids. And um, just the group that just led us, they all came here um, early this morning to, to make sure that we could sing together and worship together. And there's people in the back, there's people who bring donuts, and there's people who uh, come every morning early to make sure uh, that we help create this environment. So I, I want to thank you because um, most of you serve in some way, and we, we could not do this without you guys. So thank you for all the ways you serve and all the ways you glorify God by the way you serve our community and our city and this church. Um, yesterday uh, I got found out uh, news of this uh, writer who, um, tragic story, passed away. She was 37 years old. Um, she had two really young kids, three and less than one. Um, she went about a month ago into the hospital with complications from the flu and passed away this weekend. And um, I actually talked to friends who had read her work and, and uh, was kind of uh, processing it through my, you know, I had read a couple of her books as well. And um, just, just thinking about the story and how tragic that is and how that's a crisis for particularly the people who are close to her. And when we hear about things like that and we hear stories like that, we have a lot of questions. Why does something like that happen? How does something like that happen? But I think one of the questions a lot of us ask is, what do I do in light of what happens, in, in light of this crisis? How do I respond to this terrible thing that's happened in, in the world and in my world? And we are in this series where we're talking about crisis because all of us go through areas of crisis in our lives. And they hit us in different times in our lives, and they hit us in different ways in our lives, but the question we have to wrestle with among many questions is how do I live in response to this bad thing that's happened? And we're, we're talking about crisis in a lot of different ways, but we're looking at the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a, a man in the Old Testament very early on in the Bible who goes through lots of different crises in his life. And lots of tough things hit Joseph, and he responds in a number of different ways. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Last week, uh, our other pastor, Daniel, walked us through the beginning of Joseph's story, where he has a father who loves him more than the rest of his brothers. That's not Joseph's fault, but it definitely has an effect on his life. And, and then Joseph has this dream that all his brothers bow down to him. And you could argue that this is a, uh, isn't a smart decision, but he tells his brothers about his dream. And so what happens to Joseph is Joseph gets thrown in a well. His brothers plot to kill him. But instead of 
killing him, they make a last-minute decision to sell him into slavery in Egypt. And this is where we find Joseph. Um, at the end of the Joseph story, this is kind of a spoiler, but things work out for him. But as we're going to see this week and next week, things continually get tougher and tougher for Joseph. He encounters a number of different crises, crises in his life. And he's always trying to figure out, how do I respond to this one? So as we open up the scriptures, um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Uh, let's do that. God, we pray that you would speak to us in this moment. Um, there are times in our life when we don't know how to react. And so we pray that this story wouldn't just be a recharge for the week, that it would, it would build upon all the things we are, we are already experiencing with you. And so, God, we pray that we would grow closer to you in this moment, but that we would look at this story and hear your voice. God, help us to, to do something with this story. We pray that you would speak to us and we would hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 39 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible that's easy to read and understand, um, I would encourage you to take one with you as you leave this morning. We've got... Bibles in English and Spanish, you can, you can take it with you, and we'd love for you to have it. We'd love it for this to be our gift to you if you want to take it home. We love the Bible here. We read from it every week. We think the stories in it are powerful, and it's a way that God continues to speak to us uh, even today. Um, we're going to stop along the way. We're going to read about, we're going to read 21 verses this morning, but we're going to stop as we continue to read the story. Genesis is 39 is where we're going to be. It's toward the beginning of the Bible. And um, we're just going to start in verse 1, Genesis 39, verse 1, as we continue the story of Joseph and this crisis. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household, and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, 
And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. So Joseph gets sold into slavery, which is a tough thing to happen. And after Joseph gets sold into slavery, he actually ends up on his feet pretty well. <laughs> he gets brought to this house where Potiphar is his master. And Potiphar is the, the chief guard of Pharaoh. So Potiphar is a well-respected, influential man. And Joseph gets to do work for him. And everything Joseph does turns out really well for Joseph. And just, just because it turns out well for Joseph, it turns out well for Potiphar. Because he's working for Potiphar. And so Joseph works his way into this level of responsibility and authority that not a lot of Hebrew slaves get. He gets to where he oversees all of Potiphar's household. So he writes the checks, he does the repairs, he hires and fires people, he takes care of everything. It says the only decision that Potiphar had to make was what to eat, which that's a hard enough decision. I, like, I, I get it. I know that there are some people who are already thinking like, where am I going to eat after church? So many but that's the only decision he has to make, right? And Joseph has made his way pretty well into the story. Things have worked out for him. But the second things start getting good for Joseph, something else comes up. And it says that Potiphar's wife, Joseph's master's wife, comes on to Potiphar and says... The first quote we get from her is, come sleep with me. She is not subtle at all. She wants Joseph to come to bed with her. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be crude. This is in the story. And so Joseph has this level of authority and responsibility now. And the second things start going well for him, he has this problem. He has this crisis. And he has to ask the question, how am I going to respond to it now? And I'm interested by this story because the temptation is not where you think it might be. You would think with the level of responsibility and authority that Potiphar has, that, that he would be tempted to steal from Potiphar or to buy things for himself. Or to only put friends or people that he knows in these positions of power. But, but that's not, that may be where he's tempted, but it doesn't say that. The temptation that we see is for him to sleep with his master's, his, his boss's wife. And I can't imagine everything that Joseph has been through. I mean, think about being taken away from your family. Think about being taken away from your homeland. 
Joseph not only lives in a place that he's not familiar with, he lives in a place where they don't even speak the same language as he does. Everything is difficult for Potiphar, or for Joseph, and Joseph has finally worked himself into a good life again, and then this thing comes up. But this is the way temptation works in our life, is that we get to a point where the work that we've done is paid off, or we're tired from working so hard, and something else comes up to distract us from the things that God has for us. Um, I, I have a confession to make, and um, I was talking to somebody about this earlier, is that I have a really hard time saying no to anything sweet. So cinnamon rolls, sodas, donuts, cupcakes. If it's sitting in front of me, I have a hard time. So I, like I have a box of donuts here. And um, it's like a full dozen. And I have had no problem saying no to these donuts this morning. But here's the problem. We can, we can bring these to my house. And I can say no the first time I pass over those donuts. But eventually, I'm going to give in. Because uh, maybe tomorrow, I'll go to work all day, and then I'll come home, and then I'll help get dinner ready. And we'll sit down at the table, and we'll set the table, and we'll sit down as a family and, and eat dinner, and then we'll help clean up the table and maybe put things in the sink and maybe in the dishwasher. And all the time, the donuts are sitting on the counter right now, and I, I've, I've said no to them, but, but then I walk back and forth in front of them, and, and then uh, my daughter has to go to soccer practice. So I'll take her to soccer practice, and then, then, I, then I come home, and the kids have to go to bed, so I have to give them baths, and we have to do this together. And my wife and I are working together to give them baths and make sure their teeth are brushed, and who has... To who has what tomorrow, and what are they going to wear, and are the lunches made, and 25 times over the course of the night, I'll walk by these donuts, and at the end of the night, when everybody's in bed, and it's time for both of us to sit down, I'll sit down, and this voice, and I'm not kidding when I say it's a voice that says, you deserve a donut. <laughs> like, you've worked hard, it's been a long day. Why are they even in the house if you're not going to eat them? Go get a donut. And guess what's going to happen? I'm going to eat that donut. I'm going to eat three in 45 seconds <laughs> and not know what hit me. And, and I cannot tell you. I know this sounds like a joke, but I cannot tell you how many times that's actually happened in my house. And I know I'm talking about donuts and that's a totally different situation from Joseph's story. But this is what temptation does to us. It chips away at our life and continues to speak to us in a voice that says, You deserve this. You are owed this. You have earned this. So it would be really easy for Joseph to go, You know what? I'm in a strange place. I'm a slave. I've done all this work for somebody who gets all the glory. And now his wife is coming on to me. I, I deserve this. 
And it's just, it's just a little release. It's, it's, just a, it's just a little indulgence. It's just, just a little brief period of time where I can get what I want and what I deserve and, 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 and what I'm owed. This is what temptation says to us. And the problem with, in verse 10 it says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. So every day he has this woman who comes to him, is not subtle, and says, just do it. Just give in. You deserve it. You're owed it. And Joseph has to say no over and over and over and look, I, I know that it, it's, it's not really cool to believe in a literal devil anymore. But this is, when we talk about the devil, this is what the devil does. This is what evil does to us. It whispers in our ear continually, you are owed this life. You are owed these things. Give in to it. It'll, just this one time. And it's not just talking about donuts. This is, we live in a constant state of, it's okay for me to hold a grudge and be spiteful toward that person because of the way they hurt me. I'm owed at least that. It's okay for me to give in to this desire because of all of the things that I've done for my family, all the things I've done for my friends, all the good that I've done. I deserve this little bad area of my life. It's okay for me to blow off steam, just even if it's just on the weekends. It's, it's okay because I've worked so hard and I'm owed this and I deserve this. And the problem is it, it comes after us day after day after day after day after day. And we have to say no over and over and over. And it's difficult. Joseph is facing a crisis. Is that every day he wakes up and he's trying to do hard work and be faithful to God, and be faithful to Potiphar, and even be faithful to Potiphar's wife, but he has this voice that keeps telling him over and over, don't, you don't have to do that all the time. Just give in. It's okay. Um, one of C.S. Lewis' most famous books is called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a, a fictional account where an older, more experienced demon is writing to a younger demon on how to tempt humanity. So each demon has their own person that they're working on on a regular basis, and he's kind of giving him pointers on, to this younger demon about how best to distract this human from the life that, that God has for this man. And this is my, one of my favorite quotes from it, because it, I think it does a really good job of defining temptation. It says, this is a letter from an older demon to a younger demon. It says, You see, it is so hard for these creatures, humans, to persevere. The routine of adversity, the gradual decay of youthful loves and youthful hopes, the quiet despair of ever overcoming the chronic temptations with which we have again and again defeated them, the drabness which we create in their lives, and the resentment with which we teach them to respond to it. All this provides admirable opportunities of wearing out a soul. That's what temptation wants to do to you. 
It wants to wear out your soul. I was having a conversation with somebody before the service about how saying no to temptation is really this daily thing. It's a process. Years of like being sober, years of staying away from the things that we know distract us from the life, and it's just waking up and saying no to that voice over and over again. It's hard to do. It's difficult. This is how Joseph has to respond to a crisis. He says no over and over and over. But the voice doesn't stop. And we're going to go... We're going to get to a difficult part of the story as we keep reading. Because the story for Joseph eventually gets better in his life, but as he says no, things get harder for Joseph. So verse 11 through 20 says this. Remember, she keeps putting pressure on him every day. One day, no one else was around when he went to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his coat, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Again, not subtle. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his coat in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his coat and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his coat behind with me. She kept the coat with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his coat with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. The story's not pretty. The story doesn't get better. It just gets worse for Joseph. Joseph says no over and over and over again. And what happens when Joseph says no over and over and over again? The voice gets louder. She grabs him by the cloak, the coat, and says, come on, let's do this. And Joseph has one choice. Well, he makes one decision. And that is he just runs away. He leaves the house. That's the best way he knows how to deal with it. And this is a great way to deal with it. Because the temptation is gone. But there are consequences to Joseph's decision. And this is where the story gets trouble for me. Because I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in an environment, and I think a lot of us did too, where we believed this sort of lie about faith that once I trusted Jesus with my life, that everything would automatically go well. That I wouldn't be tempted anymore. Or if I said no to temptation, that I would get rewarded for it somehow. That I, I would have a bigger house or uh, more money. or it would just be, My life would become easy. That all the 
the obstacles that were in my way would just be knocked down and I could just walk through life and not have any trial. But the crazy thing about the story is Joseph says no, and he says yes to the right things. He runs away from temptation, and it still gets hard for him. Uh, I'm going to tell you that like, I have these donuts in front of me, and um, like, I could take these home. And I could tell myself that I'm only going to eat one or two, and then I'm going to give them to the rest of them. But the reality is, I'm probably going to hide these from any guests that I might have, because I'm going to eventually eat them. So the only way for me to say no to these on a regular basis is to just, like, get rid of them, right? Like, I have to throw them away. Like, we have to say no to these things, and we have to run away from them. And the stakes are a lot higher than just your blood sugar being raised. Like, the stakes are your soul. Your spiritual well-being depends on us saying no over and over and over again. And, and we live in a culture that constantly tells us to indulge the worst instincts that we have. That it's okay for you to pass out drunk, that it is okay for you to indulge whatever desire that you have, that it's okay for you to hold grudges, that it's okay for you to build up wealth for yourself at the expense of other people, that it's okay for you to be spiteful and angry and mean because you deserve it. Well, where does that end? We see how it plays out in our culture, that never ends okay. Joseph's story is complicated because we want him to run away and we, we want the problems to go away. We want Potiphar to, to just be all right with Joseph. We, we want his wife to not talk about it at all or, or, or to tell the truth and, and everything just work out for Joseph. The last thing we want when we're reading this story, Joseph can't end up in prison. Why does that happen? But when we decide to trust Jesus with our life, we are, we are called to holiness. We are called to continually to be, to be better, to become like God in the decisions that we make, to become like God in the way we treat people, to become like God with the way we operate amongst our family, to become like God with the, when we're driving on the street, to become like God when we go to work. This is the call on our lives, and holiness has never been easy. And it always comes with consequences in one way or another. Joseph ends up in prison. And again, at the end of Joseph's story, good things happen to Joseph. But he has to go through more trial for doing the right thing. But I want us to think about what happens if Joseph does say yes. What if he doesn't run away? 
So at worst, Joseph gets caught. And if he gets caught, he's killed immediately. There's no, there's no prison. There's no discussion. He gets killed. But at best, he keeps it a secret. And he wrestles with the guilt of what he's doing. Or even worse, he keeps it a secret. And he no longer experiences guilt about what he knows to be wrong. And think about all the times when we read stories of these billionaires who, treat, who cheat people out of their retirement. Or we read stories about um, people who have no remorse when they commit these awful crimes. And we think, how does that happen? Those people have lost their soul. So Joseph says no to temptation, and he loses his job, and he loses a pretty good life. But he says yes to temptation, and he loses his soul. And I would argue that's way worse than losing the comfort of being inside a home and a job. That pays well. So this is what we have to do. I don't know where temptation grabs you. Because I know it grabs all of us. But there, there is a part of us that has to come to a place where we say no continually to the voices that are trying to drag us away from God and cost us our soul. We have to say no. And if we get tired of saying no over and over and over again, then we need to figure out how to throw those things out of our life. If we have to cut ties with people who are those voices, then let's do that. If we have to quit jobs that are those voices, then let's have the courage to do that. If we have to continually compromise and say yes to things that cost us our soul, it's going to rot away at who we are, who God called us to be. But if we say no, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to cost us some things. But we keep our soul. I'd love to read the rest of Joseph's story, but I just want to read verse 21. This is right after it says that he was put in prison. It says this But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. We continue Joseph's story next week. But here's the thing that's so powerful, is that Joseph does the right thing and it costs him. But God is with Joseph. And you thought that the 
the well was the lowest point. But no, it gets worse for Joseph. He's sold into slavery. And maybe that's the worst part for Joseph. That's not the worst part. He gets thrown into prison. So maybe this is the worst part for Joseph. But in what is his lowest point of his life to this point, we get a promise that says God is with Joseph in the middle of the dark prison cell. And and let me tell you, this is an Old Testament, thousands of year old prison. And although prison today is no, no good, you're talking about a place where you don't get meals, where you don't get light. Most of the time, prisons were in caves. And he's asking what is going to happen next. And he probably doesn't know. But God's with him. Because Joseph hasn't lost his soul. We want everybody in our community to come follow Jesus. We do. That's why we exist as a church. And we want people who have never even been to church, who have never even been to this place, we want them to come follow Jesus as well. But we have to realize that we're calling him into a life that is hard, that will result in some prison-like moments. But maybe you won't go to prison. Hopefully you won't. But there's going to be some dark times in your life. But I promise you that you you keep your soul intact and you know that the presence of God is with you. And as long as you have that, you're going to be okay. Because at the end of the story, there is a glory. But when you walk through the darkness you know that God is right there with you. And I, I'm not trying to make you sad by telling you this story. Um, I'm trying to paint reality. But the reality of saying yes to temptation is much, much darker than saying no. So let's throw those things away, keep our soul intact, and know that God is with us. Would you pray with me?